0: You are listening to the Mystical City of God in Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volume, over 2,500 page work by the Venerable Maria Agreda. If you'd like to discuss today's readings, you can head on over to Facebook and there find the Mystical City of God in Year podcast group page, and you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. If you'd like to support this free podcast, you can do so by sending a tip through Venmo to the handle Mystical City of God. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. Today is day number 343, and we are reading from Volume 4, Book 8, Chapter 10, Paragraphs 585 to 594. 585 As the wisdom of the Great Queen, although in itself finite, is for us incomprehensible, We can never worthily understand to what height rose her virtues and works of love on these occasions, but they were often of such a kind as to oblige the Lord to respond by a personal visit, in which he gave her to understand with what pleasure he came to dwell sacramentally in her heart, and to renew in her the pledges of his infinite love. When the hour of her communion arrived, she first heard the Mass usually celebrated by the evangelist. In these Masses, although the Epistles and Gospels being not yet written were not read, the consecration was always the same as now, and to it were added other rites and ceremonies with many psalms and orations. At the end of Mass, the Heavenly Mother approached, making three most profound genuflections, all inflamed with love. She received her Son in the sacrament, welcoming in her purest bosom and heart the same God to whom she had given the most sacred humanity in her virginal womb. Having communicated, she retired and, unless some very urgent need of her fellow men demanded otherwise, remained alone for three hours. During these hours, the evangelist was often privileged to see rays of light darting forth from her as from the sun. 586. The prudent mother also provided that, for the celebration of the unbloody sacrifice of the Mass, the apostles and priests be clothed in ornate and mysterious vestments, different from those that they wore in ordinary life. Accordingly, with her own hands, she provided ornaments and sacerdotal vestments for its celebration, thus originating and ceremonious observances in the church. Although these vestments were not quite of the same form as nowadays, yet they were not materially different in appearance from those which, in the course of time, came into use in the Roman church. The material was more alike, for she made them of linen and rich silks purchased with the alms and presents made to her. Whenever she worked at these vestments, sewing or fitting them, she remained on her knees or on her feet, and she would not entrust them to other sacristans than the angels, who assisted and helped her in all these things. Likewise, she kept these ornaments, and all that pertained to the service of the altar, in incredible order and cleanliness. And from such hands as hers, all came forth with a celestial fragrance, which enkindled the spirit of the ministers. 587. From many kingdoms and provinces where the apostles were preaching, numbers of converts came to Jerusalem in order to visit and converse with the Mother of the Lord and the Mother of the Redeemer of the world, at the same time offering rich gifts. Among others, four sovereign princes, who were royal governors of provinces, visited her and brought many valuable presents which they placed at her disposal for her own use, and for the apostles and disciples. The great lady answered that she was poor like her son, and that the apostles likewise were poor in imitation of their master, that hence these riches were not appropriate to the life they professed. They begged her to console them by accepting their gifts for the poor or for the divine worship. On account of their persistent requests, she received part of what they offered, and from the rich silks she made some ornaments for the altar. The rest she distributed among the indigent and the infirmaries. For she was accustomed to visit such places, and often served and washed the poor with her hands, performing such services, as well as distributing the alms on her knees. Wherever it was possible, she consoled the needy and assisted the sick in their last agony. Nor did she ever rest from works of charity, either actually engaging in them or pleading and praying for others in her retirement. 588 She gave salutary advice to those princes or kings at their visit, admonishing them and instructing them in regard to the good government of their provinces. She charged them to watch over the equitable administration of justice, without acceptation of persons, to consider themselves mortal men as all the rest, to fear the supreme judge by whom all are to be judged according to their own works, and above all to further the exaltation of the name of Christ, the propagation and security of the holy faith, in which alone the governments and reigns can be firmly established. For without faith, government is but a lamentable and disastrous slavery of the demons, which is permitted by hidden judgments of God, for the punishment of both those that govern and that are governed. The fortunate princes promised faithfully to execute all her instructions, and they afterwards remained in communication with the heavenly queen through letters and other intercourse. The same benefit in its degree resulted to all that visited her. For all of them left her presence and were ardent in virtue, full of light, joy, and consolation unspeakable. Many who were yet unbelievers, on seeing her loudly professed their belief in the true God, for they were unable to restrain the interior forces awakened by the presence of their most blessed mother. 5.89 And such effects must not be held as surprising since the great lady was entirely transformed into the most efficacious instrument of the power of God and of his grace among men. Not only her words, so full of wisdom, roused the admiration and convinced the minds by communicating new light, but on her lips was diffused heavenly grace for communicating it, and in her countenance shone the sweetness and beauty of heaven, while her own quiet majesty and modesty, grave yet pleasing, together with the hidden virtue like that ascribed to her divine Son in the gospel, attracted and refreshed the hearts. Luke 6:19. Some remained speechless in admiration, and some broke forth in tears, others in exclamations of wonder and praise, confessing that great is the God of the Christians, who had formed such a creature. Truly could they testify to what some saints said to her, that Mary was a divine prodigy of virtue. Let her be eternally known and praised through all the generations as the true mother of God, who made her so attractive to human eyes, such a sweet mother to the sinners, so amiable to angels and men. 5.90 During these last years the queen ate or slept very little, and this little only because St. John asked her to rest for at least a small portion of the night. But this sleep was only a slight suspension of the senses, lasting no longer than a half hour, during which in the manner above described she lost not the vision of the divinity, Her food was a few mouthfuls of ordinary bread and sometimes a little fish, taken at the instance of the evangelist, and in order to keep him company. For in this, as in other privileges, St. John was thus fortunate, not only eating with her from the same table, but having the food prepared for him by the great queen, and administered to him as from a mother to her son, and moreover being obeyed by her as a priest and a substitute of Christ. Very well could the great queen get along without even this sleep or nourishment, which seemed more a ceremony than a sustenance of life. But she partook of them, not from necessity, but in order to practice obedience and humility, and thus pay some tribute to human nature. For in all things she was most prudent. Instruction which Mary, the most blessed queen of the angels, gave me. 5.91 My daughter, through the whole course of my life, is evident how gratefully I kept in mind the works of the redemption, the passion and death of my divine son, especially after I had actually seen him sacrifice on the cross for the salvation of men. But in this chapter, particularly, I have wished to draw thy attention to the care and the continual exercises by which I renewed in me not only the remembrances, but the sufferings of the passion. I desire that the knowledge of this "'cause men to feel reproach and confusion "'at the monstrous forgetfulness "'of the incomprehensible benefit of the redemption. "'Oh, what a shameful, what a horrible "'and dangerous ingratitude of men is this. "'Forgetfulness is a clear proof of contempt, "'for one does not forget so easily what one holds dear. "'What reason or excuse, then, can there be? "'But men forget the eternal blessings they have received.' that they should despise the love with which the Eternal Father has delivered over to the death his only begotten Son, the charity and patience with which his and his Son accepted it from them, John 3.16. The insensible earth responds to the efforts of those that cultivate it. Wild beasts become tame and domesticated in return for benefits. Men among themselves are beholden to their benefactors, and when such thankful feelings are not forthcoming, they resent it, condemn it, And call it a great offense. 592. What is the reason, then, that only toward their God and Redeemer they should be ungrateful and forget what he suffered, in order to rescue them from eternal damnation? And in view of this very evil return, they complain of not receiving his assistance as they desire. In order that they may understand what fearful guilt they load upon themselves by their ingratitude, I will remind thee, my daughter, that Lucifer and his demons, seeing so many souls oblivious of the sufferings of Christ, draw the following conclusions and say of such souls, This soul does not remember or hold in esteem the benefit of God's redemption, and we are certain of gaining it over to our side. For the soul that is so foolish as not to remember such a blessing will certainly not detect our wiles." Let us proceed to tempt and destroy it, since it is deprived of its strongest defense. Having, in their large experience, found their reasoning on this point to be almost infallible, they zealously seek to blot out the memory of the passion and death of Christ, and to excite a contempt for the preaching or discoursing about it among men. And they have succeeded to a great extent, causing dreadful damage to souls. On the other hand, they are wary and fearful of tempting those who have accustomed themselves to the meditation and the remembrance of the suffering of Christ, for from this source they feel issuing against them a force and influence which often prevents them from approaching those who thus piously cherish the memory of the passion five ninety three I desire thee then, my dearest, not to detach from thy bosom and heart this bouquet of myrrh canticle one twelve, and to imitate me closely for the contemplation of the exercises of the passion. For thus must thou keep alive the memory of the sufferings of my divine Son and satisfy for the injuries and blasphemies afflicted upon his divine person by his enemies who crucified him. Seek thou, as long as thou shalt be upon earth, to compensate for the ingratitude and forgetfulness of mortals. And in order to do it as I desire, never let thy remembrance of Christ crucified, afflicted, and blasphemed be extinguished. Persevere in thy exercises, never omitting them, except in obedience or in a just cause. For if thou imitate me in this, I shall make thee a participant in the effects I myself felt. 5.94 In order to dispose thyself day by day for holy communion, thou should supply whatever thou performest in these exercises. Imitate also the other works and practices which thou hast come to know of me. If I, the mother of him who I was to receive, deemed myself unworthy of communion, and by so many means sought the purity necessary for such a sacrament, Consider what thou must do, so poor and subject of so many miseries and imperfections. Purify the temple of thy interior, scrutinizing it by the divine light and adorning it with great virtues, since it is the eternal God whom thou art to receive, one of whom nobody but himself is worthy. Invoke the intercession of the angels and saints to obtain grace from the Lord. Above all, I exhort thee to call upon me and ask me to help thee. For thou must know that I am the special advocate and protectress of those who desire to arrive at great purity for receiving Holy Communion. Whenever they invoke me for this purpose, I present myself before the throne of the Most High and as one well knowing the disposition required for harboring God himself. I ask his favor and grace for those who are about to receive him in the Holy Sacrament. I have not lost in heaven the solicitude and zeal which I exhibited upon earth. Having asked me... Proceed to ask also the intercession of the angels, for they also are very anxious to see souls approach the Holy Eucharist with great devotion and purity. This concludes our reading today for day number 343. We have been reading from Volume 4, Book 8, Chapter 10, Paragraphs 585 to 594. It was very nice in our reading today to hear about the reception of Holy Communion by our Blessed Mother. And for us as Catholics, as we approach and receive Holy Communion, it is a great reminder for us that we should do so with great devotion, with great reverence. And even at the very end today, Our Lady, as she comments in the instruction, having asked me, proceed to ask also the intercession of the angels, for they also are very anxious to see souls approach the Holy Eucharist with great devotion and purity. When you're in the communion line and you're approaching to receive, What's going through your mind? Hopefully not what you're going to order at the breakfast table at the restaurant. Hopefully not your shopping list for the grocery store. Hopefully what's going through your mind is, my Lord and Savior is going to come to me in Holy Communion, and I'm going to be receiving him and uniting myself to him. If that's not something you think of, well then ask Our Lady, ask the angels, Help me to make a devout holy communion. One of the things I thought was interesting in our reading today was that we heard in the very first paragraph we heard today, 585, as the wisdom of the great queen, although in itself finite, is for us incomprehensible, we can never worthily understand to what height rose her virtues and works of love. But they were often of such a kind as to oblige the Lord to respond by a personal visit in which he gave her to understand with what pleasure he came to dwell sacramentally in her heart. The Lord visited her. Do you think it was an apparition? Do you think that's what Maria Vagrata is saying here? Or do you think the visit is that of the Holy Communion and she converses with the Lord in that way? Is this the beginning of the apparitions of Jesus upon earth? I don't know. That was just something that I kind of marveled at as I read those lines. We also heard that from many kingdoms and provinces where the apostles were preaching, numbers of converts came to Jerusalem in order to visit and converse with the mother of the redeemer of the world. Imagine all these people who are seeking to find Our Lady. They want to talk with the mother of Jesus. And really, it's no different today. People want to talk to Our Lady. It's why they go to shrines all over the world. It's why they go to these places, because they know there's something special there. And they want to give their heart, they want to give their life to Our Lady. They want to speak with her as a child speaks to a mother, as a mother speaks to a child. We also heard wherever it was possible, she consoled the needy and assisted the sick in their last agony. can not help but think about the last agony of the sick is the hour of death and that repetitious prayer we pray, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death and those words have great meaning. Mary had a great heart for the sick and the dying, and she has a great heart for you and for me as well. And finally, in the instruction, we heard Our Lady tell Maria of Agreda to constantly reflect on the passion of Jesus. And for thus must thou keep alive the memory of the sufferings of my divine Son, and satisfy for the injuries and blasphemies inflicted upon his divine person by his enemies who crucified him. So by reflecting on the passion, we are seeking to satisfy the injuries and blasphemies that the crucified Christ has received. So let us do our part then. Let us try to make reparation by our prayer and meditation. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of The Mystical City of God, I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.